Well, good morning again. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We are finishing up this morning with our sermon series in Ephesians. We will be looking at chapter 6, verse 10 and following. We have talked a lot in the last several weeks as we've gone through Ephesians about how we are to be family. We've talked about how we are to think as the family of God. We've talked about what we're to believe. We've talked about how we were brought into the family and about how we're blessed to be part of the family. We've talked about how we are to act towards one another. We've talked about how we're to submit towards one another. We're taught... We, we have talked about how we are to live as individuals, as imitators of Christ, the head of the family. And so when you come to the end of Ephesians and you see this passage about the armor of God, in some ways it feels kind of different. It's like, wait a minute, how does that fit in with being part of a family? How does putting on the armor of God and defending yourself against an enemy part of being a family? I don't understand. And as I was thinking about that this weekend, because that has been something that I have often pondered when I read Ephesians, but as I was thinking about that, a silly, silly analogy came to me. It's kind of like when I was a kid and my dad was raising me and he raised me right, though it has caused me much heartache. My dad told me that you are a Mizzou fan. You will always be a Mizzou fan, and you will cheer for Mizzou through good and through very much bad. But you cheer for them no matter what. And he taught me how to be a Mizzou fan. He taught me what to wear. He taught me what colors to love. He taught me what songs to sing and what chants to say. He taught me the appropriate way to spell Missouri, which is M-I-Z-Z-O-U, He taught me all of these things, but he also taught me something else. He taught me who our enemy was. We never cheer for Kansas. It doesn't matter if they're playing Florida State. It doesn't matter if they're playing Notre Dame. It doesn't matter if they play any of the other teams we don't like. You never cheer for Kansas, and you definitely never wear blue and red in combination. Paul is doing something similar here in that he has spent the better part of the letter telling us how to be good family members. He's told us how to be a good church family, a good healthy family, and how to be members of that family and how we're to act one another. And now Paul says at the end of his letter, you have an enemy. You have an enemy. And he is out to destroy Let me teach you how to defend yourself. Let me teach you how to defend one another. And so Paul closes this book with this great passage that in no way stands against the rest of the letter, but very much is part of learning what it means to be a church and what it means to be a part of the family of God. And so if you would, if you would stand with me as we read chapter 6, verse 10 through the end of the book. We will honor God's word this morning. Paul says here, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. Tychius, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to you, to the brothers and love with faith from God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and Lord, we. We do gather together as family. Lord, and we understand that not only are we family in this room, but there are others even in this town who gather together that are part of that family. We understand that there are others in this state who are gathering together this morning who are part of a family. We understand that there are brothers and sisters, some of who are, have already met and some are who yet to meet in different parts of this world who are part of this grand family. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that we are part of something much bigger than ourselves. We thank you that we don't walk this path alone. And Father, we thank you that you, through your apostle, through your word, make it clear to us that we have someone that we should watch out for. That you warn us that it's not always going to be easy, but that you give us the tools and give us the ability to stand. May we do so together. May we defend together. Father, I pray this morning, help your words to sit deep in our hearts this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. By the way, lest anyone be confused by the analogy, Kansas is not the devil. Maybe close, but... Paul Paul says here at the beginning of this passage that we have an enemy. But the question really is, who is the enemy? We live in a world that likes to have sides, don't we? We like to pick sides, whether it be in sports, as our silly analogy from the beginning talks about, or whether it be in politics, or whether it be on what color is the favorite, we like to choose sides. And we like a good story with a guy in a white hat and a guy in a black hat. 
But there are times when we get confused about who the enemy truly is. And so so Paul sets to clarify. Paul sets to clarify. He says here in verse 12 of our passage, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We need to understand that we have one enemy, and that enemy is first not each other. That enemy is not each other. We have spent the better part of two months almost looking at Ephesians and looking at how we are to relate to one another as a church. And we have talked about forgiving one another. We have talked about loving one another. We have talked about bearing with one another and having patience with one another. And there are times that if we are truly honest, just like family, we annoy the snot out of one another. Don't we? I was reminded this week by Lisa. We uh, got to go with them yesterday and we were talking about some different things and just we know how to push one another's buttons. We know how to rile one another up and we enjoy doing it. Probably not a good thing, but we enjoy it. But we do the same thing sometimes to church members. Sometimes we like to push each other's buttons and watch the other spin. We shouldn't do it. We should put those silly things aside. We should love one another. But at no point should we ever look across the aisle and think of the other uh, brother or sister as the enemy. Never should we stoke a fire to the point of division. Paul says earlier in the letter, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a place to, to stand on. Because he would no, love nothing better than to destroy the church. He would love nothing better than to destroy our witness. And so we must not give him any quarter. We must not give him any room to maneuver in between us. So if it's not each other, then who is it? Well, it's also not the lost. Paul makes it clear here that it's not flesh and blood that we struggle against. This has been an insane week in our country. And it would be easy to say, They are the problem. It would be easy to look across the aisle and say they are the enemy. But the reality is is that they are not. The lost, those that speak things that we know not to be true, they are only acting out in their blindness. They have not yet seen the love of Christ. They have not yet known the salvation with which he offers us grace. They have not known forgiveness nor joy. They are under, in many ways, they are under a spell. They are under the control of the ruler of this earth. And they do not know what they do, as Christ would put it. They are not the enemy. We are to go after them. We are to pursue them. We are to rescue them. So they're not the enemy. So then who is our enemy? Well, Paul makes it clear. He says there in verse 11 that we put on the whole armor of God that we stand against the schemes of the devil. He says that there at the second part of verse 12 that those that we wrestle against are the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. He says later down when he talks about the shield of faith that the devil is the one who throws fiery darts. He is our enemy. Satan. 
He is the arch enemy of God from the beginning. He has attempted to destroy and to overthrow, and he continues to do so to this day. Peter, in 1 Peter, he reminds us, 1 Peter 5, 8, we're reminded that Satan prowls around us like a lion waiting to devour whoever he can. I was reading an article this week. It's not about lions, it's about wolves, but it's the same principle. That at times, wolves will run into a pack with a pack of elk or a, a herd of some antelope or whatever, and they will run in and they will have no plan. There is no real intention other than just to see if there is a weak point. They're not, they, they don't formulate some fancy pattern as many times they do, but rather sometimes they run in just to see if there's someone that's not ready, just to see if there's one that's weak. Satan does the same thing. He walks around us as individual believers. He walks around us at the church, as a church. And he's looking for those who are weak. He, lo- he looks for those that are stumbling. He looks for cracks in the armor. He looks for division among the church so that he may strike. And while we know that the victory has already been won, that Christ has already defeated him, The battle for the day rages on. And so what are we to do with that? How are we to defend ourselves? Paul says first, stand. It's one of the great commands of this passage. As he says there in verse 14, stand therefore. The idea is don't be caught sitting down. Don't be caught sleeping on the job, but stand firm. We're told later that if we stand and we resist Satan, that he will run from us knowing the power that is behind us. So first we stand. But Paul goes on in this passage, and the the great detail of this passage is that we put on the armor of God. What does that look like? Well, let's look at it for just a moment. He says there in verse 14, Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth. The belt of truth then is our first, our first part of the armor. A belt, as you probably know, holds everything together. Without belts, there would be much embarrassment in the world for one reason or another. But they hold everything together. They hold everything up. They keep everything in proper place and in proper order. And so too does truth. As believers, if we are to have an impact on the world, if we are to stand and defend against the schemes of the devil, then we must speak truth and believe truth. We must give give those in the world no reason to doubt what we say. We must give them no reason to doubt our words. There is enough doubt in the world without us adding to it. So we should speak truth, not only to the lost, but to each other. Second, we see the breastplate of righteousness. It's interesting that righteousness is what covers the important parts. That That's the image that's given. That breastplate covers the heart, the lungs, the vital organs here in front of us. And it's interesting that righteousness is that. Righteousness is closely connected to our character. 
It was interesting, uh, several months back, I was listening to a, a pastor and he was talking about how you must hold your reputation with an open hand. Because people can do to your reputation whatever they want. We see it even with Jesus Christ, don't we? We see him be called a drunkard. We see him be called multiple things for hanging out with tax collectors. We see him be mocked. We see him be scorned. They did whatever they wanted with his reputation. Some called him a demon. Some called him the devil himself. But they could never question his character. They could never question his righteousness. Caesar, at the trial, looks at Christ and he questions him and he goes, I can't find anything that this guy is guilty of. So too we should imitate Christ, just as, it, as Paul says in chapter 5. Imitate Christ, imitate his holiness. Guard your character closely, for it will protect you. Don't worry about your reputation. People are going to say what people are going to say. But they can't, if you guard your character, they can never take that from you. It will guard you, it will protect your heart. Thirdly, we see the shoes of the gospel, verse 15. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the peace of the gospel. It's fitting that Jesus commands us to go and to take the gospel to all the world. And here Paul says that that's our shoes, that's what makes us ready is this gospel of peace that we've been given. We never know when the commander, we never know when the king is going to say, go, I have a mission for you. And so we strap on our shoes daily. We get ready. How many times have you been caught? Maybe in the morning someone knocks on the door or in the evening somebody knocks on the door and you are needed and you don't have your shoes on and then you're frantically looking for these things that you use every single day. Paul says, Put your shoes on. Be ready. Let's go. Then he goes, moves on to the shield of faith. He says there in verse 16, In all circumstances, taking up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's interesting that he talks about flaming darts there. You know, darts and arrows on their own do enough damage. If you've ever been bow hunting or ever been around a bow, you know that they can do enough damage on their own. But the point of a flaming arrow is to catch everything around it on fire and for that fire to spread. Not just to that person that's hit or just, not just to that object that's hit, but to everything around it. And Satan does that as well. He throws these fiery darts and these darts are full of doubt. They are doubt. And he throws them... To say, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Surely he wouldn't. Surely he's not like that. Surely he doesn't want you to do that. Surely he wouldn't allow this to happen. Surely, surely he's not even there if that's possible. And our doubt begins to fester and that fire spreads and pretty soon it spreads not only to ourselves but to others. We see a great example in the Garden of Eden. Satan comes to Eve and he begins to throw doubt on what God had said. He begins to throw doubt. Did he really say that? Do you think he really meant that? Surely you won't die. Surely there won't be consequence. 
and Eve falls for it. And the fire of doubt spreads through her to the point where she sins, where she breaks the word of God. She breaks the, the, the really the commandment that they've been told. But the fire doesn't stop with her. The fire spreads to Adam and Adam doubts as well. And Adam falls to sin as well. See, our doubt, when we allow it to go unchecked and unfestered, it never stops with us. It is always something that spreads. And so Paul tells us, take up the shield. The shield of faith. I had a person, uh, a sister, tell me this week that shared with me a saying that faith is taking God at his word. It's knowing what he says and then believing that what he says is true. Makes it pretty simple, doesn't it? Boils it down to just the basics. Having faith in God means taking him at his word. Believing that what he says is true. Believing that he will follow through on his promises. Believing that he will follow through on consequences and on blessings. Believing that when he says that he'll never leave you, that he indeed will never leave you. Believing that when he says that there is great hope, that there indeed is great hope. We must believe him at his word. Next, we have the helmet of salvation. It's interesting here in verse 17, Paul says, and take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. That word there is really better translated as receive. It's the idea of taking from someone else. Not just taking from a shelf or taking from a store or taking up something off the ground. But it's receiving from another person. What a great picture of what God does for us. He offers us this great gift. He offers us this great identity. And we place it on. Becoming part of the family. And the thing is, is that we... Don't remember that just once, but we are to do it daily. The, the idea of putting on your armor is a daily thing, an, an, an all-the-time thing. Not that we need to pray every morning to be saved. We do that once, and that's good forever. But rather that we need to remember the act of salvation that has happened in our lives because it is a place of strength for us. We need to remember the act of salvation that God does throughout our days as he continues to act in our life so that we may share it with others. It's what protects our minds. I was talking with a friend this week about missions and he was talking about his time overseas and that he'd come back and he, he said, you know, you were right. There are days that the only thing that kept me from buying a plane ticket was my calling. And in the moments of frustration and the moments of what am I doing here? Is this really worth it? The only thing that kept me there, the only thing that protected my mind was that I remembered the calling. The same is true for our salvation. There are times when we protect our minds, when we take our thoughts captive by remembering what Christ did for us. The last piece of the equipment that Paul gives us here is the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the Word of God. It is the offensive tool in the kit. It is what we use to strike back with. We see a beautiful picture of this in Jesus Christ as Jesus is tempted by Satan himself and Jesus defends himself how? He responds how? With the word of God. 
He doesn't try to to play logic games with Satan. He doesn't try to argue with him on his own merit. He doesn't try to give him three points in an illustration. He argues and he defends with the word. And with the word of God, he shuts down all of the attacks of Satan. We too have the ability to do that. People ask me, how do you resist temptation? Know the word. How do you get strength in the morning? Know the word. How do you get through the dark places of life? Know the word. How do you find hope and joy and stand upon it? Know the word. How do you share the gospel? Know the word. We must base our lives in this. This is our sword. This is our defense. Paul goes on here though. And he gives us one more thing. That without which all of the rest of this falls apart. Without prayer. Without prayer none of these things. None of these things have the power that they should. We have talked about it many times here at FBC since my time here. That without prayer, we're going to accomplish nothing. Without prayer, without bathing things in the word of God, that we will fall far short of all that God has for us. And if we're depending upon ourselves to come up with a brilliant plan, if if you're depending on me to come up with a brilliant program, obviously that's not a good idea. We must pray. We must pray. He says here, we should pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. Pray that God would fill you with the spirit on a daily basis, not just once, but on a daily basis that he would fill you with the spirit, that you would know the joy of Christ, that you would know his hope, that you would know his strength so that you may be able to stand against Satan, that you may be able to defend yourself. He goes on here. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray for yourself, pray for the church. I had a wonderful sister this week come and she was talking to me about a book that she had read and I handed her another one. But we were talking about the church that's been persecuted. The the brothers and sisters that we have all over the world that uh, gathering together like this in a building that is known and, and people that know what time we start, that is unthinkable. That is unthinkable. They risk their lives. They risk prison. They risk being cut off from their family. They risk being cut off from society. They risk their livelihoods by worshiping Jesus Christ. May it not be said of us that we forgot them. May we pray for the church. May we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face that situation. May we pray for each other. May we pray for each other. We know Life is difficult. We know there are times when doubt is easy. We know there are times when Satan desires to attack. Let us pray for one another. I had a great friend that said one time, he said, you want to get over not liking someone? You want to get over not being able to forgive someone? Start praying for them. 
every day. He goes, I guarantee it'll change your heart. I guarantee it'll change the relationship that you have with him. So we pray for ourselves, we pray for the church, and lastly, we pray for the work. Paul says here in 19, and also, meaning pray also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. It's interesting that Paul asked for this. We don't think of Paul as needing words. We don't think of him as needing to pray for boldness. We think of him as being that on his own. And nevertheless, he says, pray for me. Pray that the work might be accomplished. So we must pray not only for ourselves. We pray not only for the church, both here and across the world. But we pray that the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. We pray that it goes to the places that have never heard of it. But we also pray for those that we know right here. Who is it that you are praying for? Who is the lost person that is on your heart? Who is it that you say when someone says, who, who are the lost people that we should pray for? Who is, what is your response this morning? If we desire to be a healthy church, if we desire to be a church on fire, if we desire to be a church that makes a difference, then we as a church must pray. And we must do it all the time. We must be a church that is alert to the fact that we have an enemy. And that enemy desires to destroy our witness to destroy our families, and to destroy our family. And we cannot be complacent. We cannot look past him. We must prepare ourselves all the time. We must defend one another as well. I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up, and we're just going to have a time of response. Maybe this morning you never knew we had an enemy. You never knew the depths of his schemes. You never knew that he wanted to destroy. And this morning you're like, man, I've, I've felt his attacks. I've felt that doubt creep across. I've felt the loneliness that he produces. I've felt the hopelessness. I've felt all of that. And this morning I want no more of it than I would... I would just say to you, pray. Ask the Lord to help you to put on the armor daily. Grab your word and, and dive into it. Make a commitment to that this morning. Maybe this morning you need to ask someone else to pray for you. An army is not made up of one person. An army is made up of many soldiers. You can't do this on your own. So maybe this morning you need to go across the aisle or you need to grab somebody right next to you and say, I need prayer. Maybe this morning you need to come to the altar and seek that. Maybe this morning you're here and you don't know what it means to be part of the family of God. You don't know what it means to be part of something bigger than yourself. You don't know what it means to have a father in heaven who loves you and desires to care for you and wants to protect you. Then this morning, this morning you can come and you can be part of the family as well.
It just requires trust. Trust that he has done everything for you. Trust that he has given the ultimate sacrifice so that you can have life. I don't know what that response looks like for you this morning. But I pray that as we use this time to respond to the word, as we use this time to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper and reminding ourselves of the family that we are, that that you would respond the way that God is leading you. Let me pray, and then we'll do just that. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for everything you've given us. Lord, we thank you that you laid down your life first for us, that you saw us in need, you saw us under attack. Lord, you, even the Gospels record you looking at Jerusalem and you weeping over Jerusalem because you desire to protect them and they just keep refusing it. Father, I pray that this morning that we wouldn't refuse your protection, that we wouldn't be stubborn and say, I just, I don't want that. I don't want someone else telling me what to do. I don't want the control over me. I don't want but that rather we would understand that your desire is to love us well, to protect us well, and to give us life like we've never known it before, to give us hope like we never thought possible, to give us joy that, that stretches through all periods of life, to give us uh, uh, just satisfaction that nothing in this world can produce in us. That we would grab hold of that and long for it, Father, help us this morning to understand that we have an enemy that we need to be prepared for because he doesn't take days off. We need to be, we have an enemy that we must stand against. And the great thing is, is that when we do that, you have already won the victory and he will flee. Father, I pray, use this time to change our hearts. Use this time to prepare us. We ask this in your name. Amen.